Good evening. Live from our studio here in North Minneapolis. Uh, this is another version of the Bright Lights podcast with me, your host, Lacey Johnson, where we talk to achievers in all fields of endeavor, have them share with you some of the keys to their success. And basically, uh, we come here with a philosophy that uh, each and every one of you can be whatever you want in life. And we're here to tell you how to give you inspiration on how to do that. Uh, we're not ashamed of the fact that we believe in this country and the opportunities that uh, it offers everyone. And that if we're willing to set goals and work towards those goals and sacrifice and be tenacious and all those good things, that you can be whatever you want to be. And I always tell people that there have never been a time in my life uh, where I didn't feel that way. And a lot of things in life depends on your perspective, your attitude. And I've heard someone say 95% of life is how you react. And uh, I've told you the story about my dad, about making excuses and things like that. But our guest tonight is uh, Mr. Doug Wardlow. Uh, you might remember Doug ran for attorney general, uh, what? Last, 2018 uh and also that he's he's an attorney and he's just been doing some good things out there so we're going to give him a chance to uh share some of his ideas and what he's been achieved in life now uh my staff sometimes sets up these guests and when i found out uh, doug was a guest i thought in fairness we would ask them to reach out to uh keith ellison uh, and give him an opportunity to show up here. And, uh, and uh, I like being 100 and trying to uh, be as uh, transparent as I can with my audience. Keith and I go way back, and our kids went to school together, Spanish emergency school together. They played football together, his sons, Isaiah and Jeremiah. And so I really like Keith. In fact, the last time I saw Keith was uh, probably three or four months ago. We ran, I ran into him down at Whole Foods and down on Hennepin, and we had a great time. Now, uh, I have to say that uh, tonight I have a very, very heavy heart. Uh, my neighbor, Darren, across the alley, uh, his son was murdered uh, last week. And um, his son was such a great kid. Uh, didn't drink, didn't smoke, good habits. Uh, Daryl and him was planning on going into the construction business. Uh, and he's a, another victim of this craziness uh, that's going on here in the Twin Cities with all this these woke ideas of defunding the police. And I'm just going to call it what it is, a bunch of silliness. And I can't believe the citizens of Minneapolis keep putting these people or they're going to reelect these people. Uh, when I came to Minnesota, Minneapolis decades ago, it was such a great city and it's just sad to me uh, to see what they've done to it. So, uh, Daryl, uh, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but they had recently moved in back in the house about two years ago. Uh, by the way, his dad, who's an attorney, bought that house at the same time I bought mine. And then he moved out and, and rented it for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And finally, uh, Daryl moved in and decided that he was going to move there and his family's going to move there. 
uh, they have been uh, experiencing a lot of this craziness and lawlessness uh, that's been going on. And by the way, we used to live in a very quiet little uh, family-oriented section of Minneapolis. And since all this silliness have started as a result of our leadership, we've seen homeless camps being uh, getting ready to spring up until we put an end to that. We've seen uh, homeless people living out of their cars, dressing in front of them, showing all the, like I say, showing all their assets and dressing in front of our, our kids and our families. Uh, there's random shooting. Uh, I know several people with bullet holes in their homes. We're afraid to go outside of their homes. And so it's really sad. So I will be uh, attending a funeral at 11 a.m. this Saturday and had a chance to talk to Daryl. And, uh, oh, man, the pain, uh, you could tell, is excruciating and unimaginable. Unimagin so I'm going to try to get on here. I have a message, though, to our leadership from the governor to the county commissioner to our congressman to our city council, anybody who's involved in leadership uh, that affects Minneapolis. Uh, there is at least one BNB residence in this area. And I would invite each and every one of you to spend a night or two, or perhaps a week, in this Airbnb facility in these communities that you live outside of, and you're making all these silly decisions and silly statements and silly comments that's really, really ruining our neighborhood and making it bad. I invite each and every one to spend some time in that Airbnb, leave your personal security and protection at home, and see what you're doing to these communities. And so I'm just really sick of what you've done to this town. And, and I say to the voters of Minneapolis, I, I just can't believe you're gonna put these people back in office. Now, I've heard that, and let me I try to get credit what credit is due. Now, the whole city council, for most of them, are just wacky. Uh, but I heard that, uh, at least a good, I heard some good things about her, that she might be the one sensible one left. But otherwise, we should clean house. I can't imagine our boy mayor uh, getting reelected. But, you know, you never know. Uh, so that, that's what I have to say. And I'll just wrap up my intro with this. Uh, it's been a faith-enhancing week, and that's what challenges in life uh, do for me. And I'll end it with the story about my grandmother, uh, who uh, people often think about people down south and think they're uh, backwards and stuff. But I tell you, uh, there's a certain wisdom there that I have not found anywhere else in the world. And I've been in all kinds of circle and they might have not have a formal education or anything. In fact, the funny part about wisdom, you can't find it in a classroom. You can't find it in books. It doesn't matter how smart you're supposed to be. It doesn't matter how that you can write code or anything like that. But my grandmother, even though I think she had at least a junior high, maybe uh, elementary education, but one thing she could do, she could read and comprehend 
which is more than I can say about what they're doing to the black students here and other students here in the Minneapolis public school system. They're teaching them a lot of crazy stuff about uh, critical race theory and all that silliness, and they, but they can't read and write when they when they got out of school. And I don't want to get into the whole education scam they're running on us. But uh, she had read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation at least four or five times. And she, even though she didn't have a PhD in divinity or religion, she could explain it better and lay it out better than anyone. But this is what I want to say, and I'm going to wrap it up and get to our guest here. Uh, she had faith. And you know how you have these great thunderstorms where there's lightning and thunder and a lot of rain and everything, and they tell us if you're wise, uh, you should turn off your TV set and close the windows and batten down. Well, let me tell you something about my grandmother, Mama Jane. She didn't care about any of that. When the thunderstorm came and it was lightning and thundering, she kept her TV on. She kept her windows open. She kept her doors open because to her, it was a test of her faith. And the funny thing about it, nothing ever happened to her. She may have lost the TV, if I recall, but she never paid attention to that. And so, having said that, uh, that's one of my many great uh, role models. And so, when the thunderstorm comes in life, for me, I don't batten down either. I don't close my doors or windows or change what I do because I have faith. And when you have faith, you have no fears, you feel no stress, and you have no worries. And I want everyone to know that that's the way I am. That's the way I raise and bring on the storms in life. I'm here to keep going and never pay any attention and keep the faith. So having said that, uh, I'm going to bring on tonight's guest, Mr. Dur Doug Wartlow. Uh, hey, Doug, welcome to Bright Lights. How you doing? Hey, Lacey, it's great to be with you. And I'm yeah, so sorry to hear about the, the murder of your neighbor's son. That is just terrible. Oh, oh that's painful, man. That, 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 oh, you don't know how painful it was it's, just talking to his father. Yeah. And, and uh, I forgot to mention to our artists, there's some craziness for those who know the street gang culture over north, this highs and lows thing. And uh, I guess some of the highs was upset with the lows and they just came to the low territory and were looking for anybody to murder. And But once again, uh, when you have... Uh, prepare the population to just disrespect the police yeah. and disrespect the law. What do you think? In fact, uh, the craziest thing I've ever heard a leader do in my life in America is let the people burn down the police station. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I can't imagine anything. I mean, and that says something about a mentality. They ain't just a single uh, decision. That's saying it says something about your frame of mind, just like. Uh, defund the police. Say something about your frame of mind. It just so happened this one really went uh, went over the, overboard on these ideas. So sorry about that, but like I say, this is a tough night for me. Yeah. And uh, uh, that young man uh, still uh, yeah. is in my heart and mind. So I want everyone to pray for his family Absolutely. and wish him the best. So Doug, let's get started here. Uh, so I understand you're from Minnesota, went to Eakin High School. Uh, you went to one of those nice, great universities that everyone would want to see their kids, Georgetown. Uh, I think that's, I saw where you majored 
in uh, uh, political theory. Yep. That's that's an interesting uh, major. Uh, I've never heard about political theory. And it's political theory. You're getting into the Machiavellian type of things and ideas and how you go about fighting for power. What exactly is political well, theory, uh, like Doug? Philosophy and, you know, the, the classics, you know, going back and looking at Aristotle and, and Plato and all that. And, you know, what, what makes for a good government and, and uh, you know, the, the best possible society and how do we unleash the power of free enterprise and human freedom and, and how have political systems evolved. So that those are the kind of different focuses that I had in my undergrad studies. Okay, well, the way you describe that, I would suggest that most of our current politicians need some refresher courses yeah. uh, <laughs> along that line. I also understand that you mine it, and I was impressed with this, in Mandarin Chinese. I did, I did yeah. I studied Chinese in college, and I went over and Spent a semester in Beijing and studied the language over there. I don't speak Chinese very well anymore, but uh, I used to be able to speak it a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think it's good to, to know our rivals. And China is an important rival. And so I got to know uh, their culture a little bit. I was studying in Taiwan and, and uh, worked there, did a little internship during law school there. And uh, it was interesting to see the difference between Taiwan and China. Um, you know, Taiwan being much more okay. the freedom there versus, versus communist China. And, uh, you know, Right. Well, you remind me, and we talked a little bit before we came on the air, and I think it's still there, to get a liberal degree from the University of Minnesota, you had to take 20 credits, I think, or something like that, a foreign language, and I chose French. And even though I also took two years of French in high school, I, I can't understand the word. I still remember a few phrases. I really uh, admire your bravery uh, to major in a language. Now, after that, uh, you also uh, graduated from uh, Georgetown Law School. Is is that correct? And yeah. did you have any particular? And I don't know whether you focus when you're in law school. Do you? Is there such thing as having a particular focus of study in law school, or do you just decide once you get out? Play law and get your get your JD. So there's no particular focus. You know, you can take some electives in your second and third years to if you want to focus on some things. But there's no you know, like major that. Yeah. Okay, so I know also that uh, you were honor, uh, graduated with honors in, in both of those uh, majors in graduation. So that means that uh, you're a pretty smart, dedicated uh, cookie duck, and that's that that uh, served you well in your career. Uh, and speaking of your career, uh, you started out as a judicial law clerk, right? Right. Tell, yeah. us a little bit, tell us a little bit about that. Doug. Yeah, that's a fantastic job. So, you know, after law school, a lot of folks go get clerkships for a year or sometimes two years, depending on the court. You know, I was with the Minnesota Supreme Court and clerked for uh, Justice G. Barry Anderson, fantastic guy, wonderful justice. And he, he uh, taught me a lot about the law. And, you know, what you do is you go in there and you help uh, create bench memos. Uh, when a case comes in, you, you uh, make recommendations and, and kind of analyze the arguments and help the judges do that. And then, and then, uh, you know, they get together in conference and make all the decisions and, and then you help them write the opinions. And, you know, uh, it was a fantastic experience. Yeah. And I, I can't recall anyone in particular, but I just remember me reading a lot of people uh, biography that they had been uh, uh, law clerks and things like that. So I'm assuming that it sets the stage uh, for some future things. Now, in your private practice, which you eventually went to as a litigation attorney, mm -hmm. uh, you were into eminent domain. 
employment law, business law, and international trade law. That's right. So, so let's let's uh, parse uh, those experiences a little bit. Eminent domain. Yeah. Uh, I think the Constitution mentions that. Uh, there are some people who think that uh, that's being abused sometimes. And uh, what's your what's your opinion on that? Well, before you go there, especially uh, black communities all over the country where anytime they got to put in a freeway or something, it goes to the black community and it does things like uh, destroy the Rondo community and things right. like that. What would you say to those people who are in, let's say, economically disadvantaged communities uh, when it appears, mm -hmm. uh, at least, and it might be reality, but I'm giving you a chance here to be a little even-handed, uh, that most of these eminent domain decisions for, for freeways and things like that go through uh, non-politically -politic, connected communities. Yeah, that what is, would you that's really a problem. That really is a problem. I mean, uh, there was some success in fighting some of the freeways out in Washington, D.C. You know, there's, there are fewer freeways in, in cutting through D.C. because, you know, some of them, were stopped by communities, but then if you look at where the freeways are that were put through, uh, mm -hmm. they cut through some of the more disadvantaged communities. So the power of eminent domain can definitely be abused. And you know we have the right under the federal constitution and our Minnesota state constitution uh, to to get just compensation for any land that is taken. Uh, and then and of course there needs to be a public purpose and a public use. And, and so you got to go through all that analysis very analysis very carefully. And when I was practicing eminent domain litigation, I was always on the side of private property owners. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Good. Uh -huh. Always trying to, you know, suing the government. Right, uh, right. And trying to make sure that their rights were, were were protected. And and so, no, there's definitely a possibility of, of you know, for abuse of eminent domain law. I know that uh, Minnesota's eminent domain law was, was significantly reformed um, in the early 2000s. And, uh, you know, the public use standard was was heightened. And, and, that, and that's a good thing. You uh, used to have a situation where you could have uh, the government, you know, taking property and then selling it to another private developer and saying that the, increasing the tax base was, was right, 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 right. purpose. Well, you can't do that in Minnesota anymore, so that's a good thing. Uh, but, you know, it, it's 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 the power of the government that can be abused. And, you know, we need to, to make sure that we stand up for our constitutional rights. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm running for attorney general, so we can protect our constitutional rights. Well, uh, people probably know that I'm pretty much a conservative along those lines. And I'm, uh, I just remember my eighth grade civics, I remember my history, I remember the uh, deliberation at the Constitutional Convention, I remember the Federalist Papers, and I remember the grave, grave concern about the power of government. And I'm just one of those people who think that uh, the power of government needs to be reduced. We need to be ever vigilant in keeping it intact. But the challenge we have, Doug, is most well first of all they stopped teaching civics yeah. in schools and most americans i think it just and this is nothing uh scientific study but as i talk to people in fact if you think about the bill of rights i hardly ever talked about it anymore and it just seems like that we don't know about them and as they come in and take our rights you're not going to complain about losing a right that you don't even know you have or care that you have Right. Uh, what do you? How do we correct that, and how do we uh, go about uh, increasing awareness of that uh, on our citizen part? You know, um, the first thing I would say is, is, is school choice. We got to have school choice. You know, the schools are not teaching civics; they're not teaching the important things that kids need to learn. They're teaching nonsense like critical race theory, which is you know destroying folks and 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 really undermining everything that uh, makes America great. 
So what we got to do is school choice is, is the way that we can get in there and make sure that the schools are performing, make sure kids, uh, families can send their kids to schools where they're going to be taught and they're going to get the education that they need to, 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 to really thrive, thrive in, in, in this economy. And uh, in civics, that, that needs to be taught. And I think that, you know, if you have school choice, you'll find a lot more of those kinds of offerings, you know, teaching civics. So that, that's one thing. And then we just need to have leaders in government that are uh, vigilant to protect our constitutional rights and talking about the Constitution and our constitutional rights. And, and that's what I will do as attorney general. You know, when I was practicing law, I spent a, a several years at Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a, a Christian nonprofit law firm. And, you know, we're fighting for the First Amendment and free speech and religious liberty and getting out there and, and defending those particular rights. Uh, and I'm going to continue doing that as attorney general, talking about the Constitution and protecting the, the constitutional rights of all Minnesotans. And if we have more leaders that are you know, cognizant of the Constitution and talking about it and, and defending constitutional rights, and, you know, that, that people will learn about their constitutional rights and, and we can help lead things in the right direction. Well, you know, uh, I consider the Bill of Rights the heart of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I consider it uh, the heart of our country. But once again, I see that people really don't seem to care. Now, uh, the Second Amendment, they seem to care about a lot. And that's what we talk about a lot, but the other amendments. Now, uh, you know, I've seen after 9-11, the Patriot Act, and I thought that was a big attack on our Fourth Amendment rights, due process and search and seizures and things like that. I was so concerned that uh, the government, federal government now can come in your house and search and you don't even know that they've been there. And I, I just can't believe it that we, they're getting away with that in, in this country. This is scary. Uh, do you have similar concerns about uh, that? Well, absolutely. You know, especially the Biden administration now and the, the executive overreach we're seeing and, uh, all the different things that they're doing. You know, it, it's, it's important that we have, again, another reason I run for attorney general, state attorneys general that can step up. And when the federal government is overreaching, when they're viol- threatening to violate our constitutional rights, can, can help push back. You know, whether that's in an appropriate case, filing a lawsuit against the federal government or joining other states to do that to protect you know, the rights of the citizens of Minnesota or filing a friend of the court brief, uh, those things need to happen. We need to protect our constitutional rights. Absolutely. And, the, and I, I share your concern. Uh, we need to make sure, and of course, the founding fathers, framers of our constitution, state and federal, shared your concern as well, that uh, we need to uh, take steps to limit the power of government, because as we all know, power tends to accrue and grow, and then it kind of corrupts itself, and yeah. uh, put things in place to make sure that uh, that doesn't happen, and that's what the Bill of Rights is for, and uh, mm-hmm. we have to stand up for that Bill of Rights. You're absolutely right. It is the heart of the constitution. I, I see uh, one-two punch assault on our freedom and bill of rights and liberties. The first I mentioned was 9-11 and the Patriot Act, which is scary, but you know, they got away with it in American people. And by the way, the common factor is create fear mm-hmm. and create fear and people to go along with you violating their rights. In fact, I just recently I can't believe this. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's like to about forget freedom. And nobody questioned it. In fact, I heard people cheering that. Hmm. Uh, and this is where I'm going with the recent pandemic. Now they've attacked the First Amendment, uh, religious rights, rights to assembly, 
and things like that, as well as the Fourth Amendment, you know, where they can basically put you in the house of arrest without due process. Uh, I'm really concerned about that. But once again, I'm most concerned about they're getting away with it. And But I know the media plays a big part in that, too, and we're not going to get in that right now. But what do you think about the recent assault on our constitutional right that some government officials have uh, done uh, in response to that, and particularly our governor, too? So you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and our governor and our attorney general, Keith Ellison, you know, he they have been waging an all-out war on our constitutional rights, and that's one of, the, again, the primary reasons I'm running for attorney general. We need to defend our constitutional rights. They have, you know, the the governor's edicts and taking the emergency powers, and and then you know, the lockdowns. And and Ellison has been uh, very putting putting enormous resources into uh, enforcing the governor's lockdown edicts, going after businesses that were just trying to stay afloat. Uh, and all of that, and, that, and that's tragic because you know, there are so many other priorities that the attorney general should be focused on, like, for example, restoring law and order and protecting our community right. and ending the lawlessness. He's not doing anything about that, but he's you know, spending enormous resources to shut down small businesses, and, and, that, and that hurts that hurts people. And, and, yeah. just, and we need to stand up for those constitutional rights. We need to, you know, and as attorney general, the attorney general sits on the executive council with the governor and the auditor. And, and you know all the executive, and they approve all the the um, governor's executive orders. You know, so if I was attorney general, I would be fighting with the governor and fighting for our constitutional rights. It'd be a very different situation. And I should know that we just about won in 2018. It was just about three and a half points away from victory in a, in a real difficult year for Republicans. And you know we're yeah. launching a strong campaign here and uh, building on that base now. So things are looking very good. Uh, but we've got to protect our constitutional rights. Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, we'll have. Give Mr. Ellison a chance to come in and give his explain why he's been doing what he's uh, has been doing. Uh, I have also been in conversation with a lot of business people, and people don't understand when people put their fortune and things online to start up a business. And it seems like our government doesn't understand that uh, where uh, their money comes from. I mean, you need successful businesses, and I just feel sorry for those type of. And I've talked to a lot of them who's lost uh, fortune and, and their business forever and never come back in. And the crazy thing about it to me, a lot of it has seemed so unnecessary and anti-science. And keep yeah. it in mind, uh, that's coming from someone who's been in STEM all his life, science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm -hmm. And I understand statistics, and I, and I always thought it's curious that the most important statistic to me in this whole thing is the mortality rate. But nobody I have ever talk about the mortality rate. Uh, another thing, uh, and I'm waiting for somebody to answer this, if I have contracted COVID and I've gotten over it, I should have some natural immunity better than that man-made stuff out of pharmaceutical companies. Why do I have to get vaccinated? Right. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't, I mean, for... A hundred thousand years that human beings have been on this earth, that has worked. And so I don't, those are the type of questions that I, I've been asking. So let's pivot to uh, some of the recent things that's been in the news. Uh, first and foremost, uh, and, and I'm respectful of the fact that you, we, got, we got a time limit here. First and foremost, uh, what's your reaction to what you're seeing in 
Afghanistan and people yeah. hanging on to cargo planes and things and trying to get out of there. It's just terrible. I mean, a complete failure of leadership from President Biden and his administration. I mean, it's it's unbelievable that we would so precipitously and hastily withdraw from Afghanistan after you know so much blood and treasure we've spent there. To to and, and the whole point was to go in there and make sure that that uh, terrorists weren't using that as a safe haven and couldn't do that any longer. And we accomplished that mission. And then to just and we only you know a few thousand troops there and and no casualties for many, many, many months. And then Biden suddenly decides to pull everyone out quickly with no plan, leaving all sorts of equipment behind for the Taliban to take. And, uh, you know, they should have seen this coming. Anyone with any sense could have seen what was going to happen. And absolutely tragic. Now we've got all sorts of thousands of Americans stuck there. And the administration's message to them is, you know, get to the airport. Well, They. they can't get there. And it's the United States government needs to be going in there and, and getting the Americans out. That's what we're supposed to do, protect American lives. And the Biden administration is not doing that. It's a complete debacle and a complete failure of leadership. Uh, really terrible. Yeah. As Yogi Bear was was known to say, it's deja vu all over again because I'm old enough to remember the exit out of Vietnam and the Saigon airport. And what I'm seeing now is worse and the consequences are worse. Uh, but one of the major things for me, Doug, is that uh, we spent 20 years there, mm-hmm. trillions of dollars, I don't know, three, four, I don't know, whatever the number is. But the bottom line is we're leaving it worse almost than when we got there mm-hmm. after all of this. And once again, I'm old enough to see this pattern happening over and over again. And I'm going to give you a chance to respond. I just remember uh, the framers of the Constitution, like uh, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, predicted whenever we had a, a, a central bank, a private set of bankers, that these type of things would happen, and he and that's what we exactly seen these endless wars, and we we borrowing money to pay for them. Uh, what do you think need to be done to adjust uh, policy? And 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 really, what it comes down to uh, on all these issues is to educate voters so they can make informed decisions. How do we how do we fix this? Yeah, well, you know, in Afghanistan, you know, we sh- should have had a, a more discreet mission. Uh, go in there and, 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 and make sure that there's no safe haven for terrorists. And we got maybe too much into uh, nation building. Uh, but but just like you said, you know, we spent all those resources there. You know, American lives lost. Lives, mm-hmm. And it's worse off than it was before, and it could become a safe haven for terrorists again. There's absolutely no reason to pull out precipitously like that. Right, right. The troops there was pretty small, and there were no, no casualties for many, many months, and we have troops stationed all over the world in Korea and Japan, and uh, same situation, you no know, casualties or anything like that, but there are reasons that they are there. And, you know, mm-hmm. Trump, he was talking about pulling out, but the generals, if he listened to them, and, and he wasn't doing it, and if he was going to do it, he was going to do it in the right way to make sure that what happened you know, under Biden did not occur. And so it's it's just such a failure of leadership. We've got to make sure that we are you know, using our military resources and uh, much more wisely, and uh, we've got to put America first. I tell everyone that I talk to, because uh, it's just the way I was raised, there's no such thing as trying. You either do or you don't. And if you don't, don't be looking to blame someone else for it. Don't look to blame the previous administration. And almost laughable, you're blaming the Afghan government, <laughs> Afghanistan government for it. I, I couldn't believe it. But you know how the game is played. You throw some talking points to your supporters and to the media to try to distract your own 
responsibility and dis distract accountability. Yeah. So I know you got uh, kind of pressed for time. So I want to move on to another issue. And especially given this Mandarin Chinese instead of there, the whole China issue, I think a lot of people in this country don't understand China's world plan and how it's fitting into some of the things that's going on now. Are you familiar with some of the China's world plan? And I know as a culture, they have long-term views. They look in hundreds of years down the road and things like that. Why don't, why don't you share with our audience uh, your understanding of their uh, global plans and what's going on in the South China Sea and their threat strategically, militarily, biologically, financially, and everything else. Why don't you give us a quick summary yeah. of what you think we are there with China? We talk about so much on this. You know, that's why I studied Chinese in, in college and, and worked over there a little bit in, uh, in Taiwan uh, in law school during the summer because I knew that China was going to be our most significant rival going forward. And we need to take them seriously. And, you know, they are, like you said, it's a 5,000-year-old culture. And they think about things in, in very long terms, um, not short term at all. And you can see what they've been doing, the Chinese Communist Party. And now, now the Chinese people, wonderful people, beautiful culture, you know, just, just fantastic. The Chinese Communist Party is oppressing the people of China, and oppressing you know, Uyghur concentration camps, uh, tens of thousands of Uyghurs being oppressed and their rights taken away and being herded in concentration camps. And it, it's absolutely terrible. The, you know, Christians being persecuted all across China. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party is doing these things because it's illegal as a criminal organization is to maintain power and to, to build power. That's what they're doing. And they see, um, and one of my, one of the things that we need to be concerned about is, is the fact that when things are going south in their economy, as they are right now, the Chinese economy is not nearly as strong as, as some people think it is. They have a lot of uh, municipal and, and, and provincial debt and, and all sorts of problems. And Taiwan is sort of one of their escape hatches, if you will. If they've, they've uh, basically brainwashed everyone with propaganda to think that Taiwan is part of one China. And uh, if things get too bad, you know, there, there will be a temptation by the CCP to, to launch an invasion of Taiwan uh, to try to rally people, uh, the people of China behind them. And that's, uh, and because Biden is so weak, he's making that more likely, right? We need to have strong leadership. President Trump was good about you know, selling arms to Taiwan and, and standing up for Taiwan. President Biden is not uh, following in President Trump's footsteps, unfortunately, and that increases the danger. And then, you know, we look at the, uh, the Wuhan China virus, right? Yeah, wow. Uh -huh. Point that that most likely came from the lab in Wuhan. And that, and, and the Chinese government knew it was released from there. They tried to cover it up. They, they controlled the WHO. Uh, they tried to cover it up and then they lied to the world and to the United States about where the virus came from. And um, if they would have been upfront about it and gotten more information out more quickly, it could have saved many, many, many tens of thousands of lives, but they did not do that. So it's essentially uh, it's just about an act of war right, against the United States and against civilization itself for them to, to cover up that virus uh, and, and do what they did. So, well, you know, relative to that virus, I have an even more fundamental issue with it where you're taking a human virus and you get animal, splicing it with animal genes to create a super virus. It's almost like you're creating a Frankenstein and hoping to control it. Yeah. And I don't know why we don't just outlaw that. That's the fundamental idea of that. Why mm -hmm. would you do that? And I've heard all kinds of explanation that doesn't make any sense. 
And I do know that uh, some of our uh, scientists, Ivy League, Harvard, and everything is over there working to help them do this. I do know that they have grants, NIH grants, to help help uh, do that. And the whole thing just seems crazy to me. Just the whole idea fundamentally is crazy. And I don't know why we would even do something. Because you know eventually uh, one of them is going to escape. Uh, uh, just like it either. Uh, well, I'm not going to even go there. But just the whole research in this in this gain of function type uh, uh, laboratory work that's going on, to me, it's just nonsense. And uh, they should never be doing it. So we'll talk some more about China. And, and like I said, there's the military things, the things they're doing in the South China Sea. People don't understand the plans that they have in Africa and yes. what they're doing in Africa. Uh, people don't understand that it's not coincidental that the head of the uh, World Health Organization is from Africa. Uh, people don't understand that, and based on my reading and of history and things, that China was the one that went to the United States nation and asked for the development of the World Health Organization. And so once you start looking at all of that, a lot of things doesn't quite add up. But the other thing is that even while the main media was pumping this fear, I was reading studies where uh, when they were trying to say it came from the China wet market and this particular animal, but a lot of people don't know they did some early studies and found out that animal was not even in the wet market. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so I mean, a lot of information like that that the American people are not getting and uh, therefore uh, they're being slanted in their views and things like that. And then when you try to explain it, uh, they don't have a, the slightest idea of what in the heck you're talking about. So those are things that are dangerous. Let me see. The, well, I tell you what. I know you got uh, a time limit here, Doug. Uh, I appreciate you being on the show. But I always like to give my guest uh, an opportunity to say, is there anything important that you would have liked to address that I didn't uh, touch on this evening? Well, yeah, just one more thing on the China thing. You know, you know, I spent a couple of years doing international trade litigation under Bob Lighthizer before he was the United States trade representative, and I was fighting dumping of Chinese steel into the United States. You know, undermining our our, our steel production, and you know, that's a targeted thing that China is doing: using trade, and dumping uh, materials, raw materials like like steel, into the United States at prices that undercut our producers intentionally to, to, to undercut our producers and, and destroy our industries and especially steel and you know and we need steel for creation of all sorts of things related to defense, right? And, and then they've got we've got technology transfer going on and technology theft by China. It's it is China is our number one rival and we need to be cognizant of that. And, and unfortunately a lot of the large corporations in our country, including media corporations, oh, they, they want to be friendly to China because they want to make money in China. So you're absolutely right. That that is a problem. But I also just want to you know say a little bit about my race for attorney general. You know, I'm running mm -hmm. to make this state safe again, to make sure that our, our families can be safe. Minnesotans don't shouldn't have to fear for the lives of their kids when they send them to school, when they're playing out in the yard, or of course the tragic um, incident where the six-year-old girl is struck by a bullet and killed when she was driving home eating a Happy Meal uh, in the car with her mother. That should never happen. It's beyond unacceptable. We've got to make Minnesota safe again. We do that by enforcing the law, uh, enforce the law and end the lawlessness, end the lawlessness and then, of course, stand up for our constitutional rights. And I'm confident that uh, we're going to be able to make Minnesota safe again. We're on a path to victory. The campaign's going very well. And you know, people are tired of the lawlessness. It's, it's got to stop. Yeah, and I, 
I apologize for doing this, but there was one other issue that I wanted you to touch on briefly, if you don't mind. This whole human trafficking issue and things and what internally here within the United States, what's going on now down at our southern borders. Uh, how do you assess that situation uh, for our audience? And what do you suggest we do to address that whole human trafficking issue, uh, both internally here and what's going on down at our southern borders? Yeah, so this is an issue I, I care passionately about. I highlighted it in my 2018 campaign for attorney general, and I've been fighting against it you know, for a very long time, fighting human trafficking. And I think it needs to be a priority of our state government. The attorney general needs to take the lead in fighting human trafficking. You know, I, we can't talk about this without addressing the allegations against uh, Tony Lazaro, Anton Lazaro, shocking, uh, horrific allegations, you know, human trafficking, sex trafficking. They're among the most heinous criminal offenses that, that anyone can commit, just terrible. And so that's why my campaign returned the $1,150, well not return, but we're gonna send a contribution in that amount uh, that Tony Lazaro donated to our campaign in 2018 we're giving that to a nonprofit organization that fights human trafficking because I'm completely 100% dedicated to ending human trafficking in Minnesota. We must do that. You know, the Democrats have been in charge of the state for a very long time, and they have done nothing about this problem. Human trafficking in Minnesota and sex trafficking is skyrocketing. And when we had the Super Bowl a few years back, oh, yeah, I heard about that. Bump in uh -huh. human trafficking, huge bump. And the thing is, it went up and it came back down a little bit after the Super Bowl. But it's the new normal was, was much higher than it was before. And then from there, it has just continued to skyrocket. So in order to stop it, we need to hire more prosecutors with training and experience specifically with respect to prosecuting human traffickers. And we can do that from the Office of the Attorney General. And that's what I will do as Attorney General. We're going to hire, we're going to create a unit that's going to focus on human trafficking and sex trafficking. And we're going to go alongside our county attorneys who are the frontline prosecutors, bring in these folks with with real experience and end human trafficking in Minnesota by you know, prosecuting the traffickers, investigating and prosecuting and putting them behind bars. This has to stop in our state. It has to stop. The Democrats have done nothing about it. They don't even want to talk about it. it it's just tragic and terrible. And we also need to control uh, our borders. We need to have secure borders. You know, under the Biden administration, uh, they're, they're flying illegal aliens in you know, all over the country from the border as, as folks flood across the border. And we have no means of knowing uh, what the background of these folks are, the backgrounds of the people coming across the border are, and there is a lot of human trafficking going on, and it's tragic and it's terrible. We need to uh, help the victims, and we need to stop the trafficking by enforcing the border and then and by prosecuting, uh, and we can do that from the Office of the Attorney General. That's what I will do as Attorney General. We will focus on ending human trafficking in Minnesota. Well, I, I normally just try to be logical and fact-based and even then, uh, people read uh, partisanship in everything you say, but I mean, logic tells me if you're concerned about COVID and vaccination, why are you letting people in uh, the country without checking that and sending them all over the country? And I do know that uh, even my little town in Mississippi, that they're sending people into there uh, without them knowing it. So. Anyway, uh, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I was tempted to ask you, and this is a rhetorical question at this point, Doug, but we'll follow up with it. If they knew so much human trafficking was going to happen during the Super Bowl, why did they not do anything to prevent it in the first place? And that's, those are the type of questions that normally come to my mind when I'm listening to people talk about issues and things. I'm listening to things that's not being explained. I guess Colombo would call them loose ends. 
Uh, finally, I always like for our guests to leave a positive message to our audience, with our audience, because no matter how things look, as men of God, we are hopeful and we believe that uh, he's still in control and, and things will always work out according to his will. So let's leave the audience with a positive message. Absolutely. You know, the best days of Minnesota, the best days of America, they are ahead of us uh, because, you know, uh, me as a Republican, as, as a conservative, as a Christian, I know that I am fighting for, for policies that are going to help lift people up and let them become what God means them to be. That's what we're fighting for here, to give opportunity and, and hope to people. And we can do that. And, and like you said, God is in control and the victory is the Lord's. So the future is bright. We're going to make this state safe again. We're going to have wonderful days ahead of us here in Minnesota and uh, in America. So the future is very bright. Okay. Well, thank you again, Doug. Uh, we love all types of opinions on this broadcast. We're not like the big tech companies uh, that we censure certain people's opinion. I think a, a open and vigorous debate is part of the democratic process. I think that all types of ideas should be out there and we should listen to each other. I think the thing that counts in a democracy is our laws. And as long as you're within the law and you're expressing your personal freedoms and your personal rights, we should welcome that. So thank you for giving that side. We'll try to get some other uh, opinions and ideas in here. And you have a great evening and hope to see you soon and have a cup of coffee like I do with all my local guests. Uh, thanks, Doug, and have a great evening. You too. Take care. Thank right. you.